Hey guys, this is Charles, and I just wanted to say thank you for listening, for downloading, for sharing, and subscribing to this podcast. I wanted to remind you that if you have questions about any of the topics, uh, the series that have been covered on the podcast up to this point, you can send them to questions at completeinchristpodcast.org. And if you are being blessed by this podcast, I ask that you would pray that God would continue to use it for his glory, that you would share it with others you think would be blessed by it too. And also please rate and review on whatever platform you're listening to the podcast on. Thank you and be blessed. Hello, I'm Charles Wright, and welcome to the Complete in Christ podcast, where we endeavor to fit the pieces of our lives together according to the Word of God. We're continuing our study of the book of Colossians, asking the question, is Christ enough? In this episode, we'll be looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 17, where Paul really challenges the Colossian believers to shed the characteristics and the thinking of their old life and instead put on the behaviors and mindsets that reflect the new life in Christ that they have now. So let's get to it. The main thrust of Colossians 3, 5 through 17 is that because the believers have died with Christ, uh, they've died to their old ways of the world and have now been raised to a new life in Christ. Um, and this new life finds its grounding and its frame of reference in heaven, where Christ sits at the right hand of God, the father, uh, that all of that now necessitates that they um, live in a different way while on this earth. So in verse five, Paul says that the Colossians should put to death what is earthly in them, that in the same way that Christ's death uh, on the cross put to death the old earthly practices of trying to obtain righteousness and access to God, uh, there are some old earthly practices in us, Paul says, some sinful practices that also need to be put to death. Paul is saying that believers should consider themselves dead to participation in these sinful uh, lifestyles of the old world. Now, some translations render this as put to death, while the NASB says, um, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. And this difference is really predicated on whether uh, this is an active putting to death or is it in light of verse three that we talked about in the last episode, a death that has already occurred and now believers just need to kind of embrace that, um, that they have already died to uh, these sinful lifestyles of this world. Uh, personally, I'm, I'm led to believe that this is more of a both and uh, versus an either or, meaning that Christ's death and his resurrection has broken the chains of sin and he has set us free from the bondage of sin. Whereas we did whatever our desires compelled us to do before Christ without regard for God's righteousness, Christ has now uh, set us free to respond to God's righteousness and to choose obedience over disobedience. And look, I, I think this is, a, is an important little place to have a little bit of a, of a caveat uh, here, or at least a dialogue that says that uh, sometimes we, when we think about sinning and we think about our lives before Christ, um, we, we hear that we were slaves to sin or, or that we were in bondage to sin. And then we kind of reflect and we say, well, 
you know, I wasn't doing any and everything. There were some things that I didn't do. There were some behaviors and some, um, you know, decisions and choices that I didn't make. So, you know, I was already choosing whether I wanted to sin or not sin. But I, there, there needs to be a, a, a very important distinction here made between the difference of of not sinning or or making choices because of 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 a uh, acknowledgement of who God is and because of His righteousness and because of us wanting to be obedient to Him, versus us maybe not sinning or making certain choices uh, because of not wanting to experiencing certain consequences, right? So every decision that I made in the past prior to to coming to Christ and being freed from the bondage of sin, if I chose what would be considered the right path, it wasn't necessarily because I was had God's righteousness in view. It was more a selfish preservation type of a thing that was happening there where I didn't want to experience the, the bad things that might result from some of those um, sinful behaviors or the consequences that might come from some of those sinful behaviors. And so what Christ has done, Christ has come and said, now um, we're, we're instead of responding to sin, we actually now can respond to God's righteousness. And that's a whole different thing than just being concerned about kind of the consequences of bad choices or sin on my own personal life or the things that I want to do and goals and things like that. Now, uh, we we are to be walking and moving with an eye towards being obedient now to a holy, righteous God. And while um, we have been set free, right, <clears throat> we now have to exercise that freedom. We 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 have freedom, but now we kind of have to walk in that freedom. We have to walk now in that liberty, which starts with us really cultivating new desires. Just because the chains have been broken doesn't mean that the desires are gone. And and this is where I think there sometimes is also kind of a misunderstanding um, amongst Christians of this particular point, meaning that some believers are kind of the mindset that um, that desires kind of validate behavior. Some people of the mindset that desire validates behavior. And if I have the desire, then it must be normal. It must be natural. It must be okay. It uh, it it must be uh, permissible, um, you know, for for some, depending on what you're talking about. And this reasoning is, is very prevalent, especially in the area of kind of sexual sin, um, because sex is natural. And if I have certain desires, then it's natural and it must be okay. And this is really kind of the key point that I want to drive home and I want to highlight uh, as we kind of move through this section is that oftentimes, right, we think that when we come to Christ. The desires that are bad, that are evil, that are sinful are just washed away completely and then kind of magically replaced with new desires. But what I believe a scripture teaches us is not kind of an, an eradication of the old nature, but the, the birth of a new nature. And this new nature now begins to war against the old nature. See, the old nature with its desires won't be completely done away with until we uh, or our bodies of flesh, rather, are uh, redeemed, right, uh, and, and glorified. But uh, until then, uh, there will be this tug of war. And this is what Paul talks about in Romans 7 when he says that there are two forces kind of at war inside of him, one that desires to do God's will, to follow his law, and one that desires to follow 
the law of his unredeemed flesh, right? There's this tug of war happening inside of him, he says. And, and I think if we're all honest, there's the same tug of war happening inside of all of us. And while there is no eradication of the old nature kind of on this side of glorification, uh, what we do have, uh, glory to God, what we do have is that in Christ, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is we have the ability now to resist those desires, um, d- resisting those desires that are inconsistent with what God has called us to do. And so, yes, right, uh, we are already dead to sin. Uh, Christ's work on the cross uh, has freed us from the bondage of sin, but um, we are going to have to fight every day to now walk in that freedom because those desires are still lurking around in our hearts, in our flesh, right? And I think this is what Paul is kind of getting at when he talks about put to death or consider your members as already dead to these old ways of of the world, these old lifestyles, these characteristics, these beliefs, these mindsets and these behaviors. And again, Paul doesn't leave it up to our imaginations. He doesn't leave it up to our interpretations of what those things are, but he lists them out. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And and I think it is important to notice that this list is not a list of outcomes, but instead it is a list of what I would call catalysts or, or a list of root causes, if you will. See, Paul would still be kind of writing his letter today if he tried to kind of create an itemized list of every earthly thing in us that needs to be put to death. But instead, what Paul does is he provides a list of kind of sources, a list of driving forces that are at work in us, a list that that could be characterized as kind of the, the root of the sinful acts that we commit. So just think about it, right? This this list again, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness or greed, right? Um, any and every sin ever committed can really be kind of traced to one of these kind of areas. Uh, and it's uh, um, definitely has a, a bent towards kind of sexual sin here with some of these descriptors, uh, but it's not that far of a leap to see how these can also branch into some other areas and, and some other manifestations of sinful living. Paul then says something in verse six that really should be sobering <clears throat> when he points out that uh, God's wrath is being reserved for those who practice and live their lives out of these desires, namely upon the sons of disobedience. In other words, those who have violated God's moral laws, but have not turn to Christ in repentance, right? We we all have violated God's moral laws. Everybody is in that category. But the distinction here that Paul is making is that some maintain and continue in that life of disobedience, while others turn to Christ and accept the forgiveness of sin and the redemption that is brought to us by his death on the cross. And, and those, Paul says, those that he uh, describes as sons of disobedience, those who have made their lifestyle uh, living in a way that is disobedient to God will ultimately face God's judgment. And I know there's some, some, some tension when we talk about a loving God who, who uh, Jesus tells us uh, has come and, and he has come, especially not to judge the world, but 
to, to redeem the world, to save the lost and those kinds of things. How then all of a sudden is there still this judgment that is reserved? And, and I think, you know, what you really have to kind of step back is say, um, and, and understand kind of the whole arc of redemptive history is that God's love does not erase the fact that sin has been committed. What God's love does is it provides a way back from us having committed that sin. So all the wheels that were set in motion because of our sin are already turning, right? I mean, the wages of sin is death. That is is a seed that has been planted and will uh, have to be harvested one day. But what he does is he provides a means to avoid that that crop, so to speak, right? Uh, and, and, a, and a way for us to move from, obviously, from being under the law into grace, into forgiveness, into uh, the love of, of God through Christ Jesus. Now, uh, moving on, um, sometimes I think uh, Christians kind of uh, hearing after hearing verse six can fall into the trap of, of a little bit of arrogance and carry uh, kind of an air of well, it serves you right, you sons of disobedience, right? As though we're kind of pointing at the world saying, hey, you'll see, you'll get yours in the end, and then, you know, I'll be vindicated, right? Uh, and and while there is definitely a place for kind of righteously longing for God's word to be vindicated for the truth of his word to be acknowledged for, as the Bible says, every knee to bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, I think we have to be careful that we don't fall into a cold, heartless, compassionless state. And, and this is where I think verse seven kind of enters in, which is Paul's reminder of them um, and, and, and Paul, his reminder to them and, and to do to remember a couple of things. And I think uh, that what he's doing is really broken down into two kind of categories. The first category of, of what verse seven, I think, is, is serving is it's a reminder that the Colossians cannot look down their nose at, at the aforementioned group, right? These sons of disobedience. You can't just write them off. You can't just dismiss them and consider them hopeless. Why, Paul? Why can't they write them off? Why can't they consider them hopeless and, and look down their nose? Well, Paul says, because such were some of you, Colossians, right? Before you came to Christ. Secondly, uh, I think what Paul uh, is doing with verse seven as well is it, is it goes to his admonition to be careful, to be intentional about putting to death, about considering their members dead to these old ways, these earthly desires that you practiced and, and that are still, as we just discussed, to one degree or another, still kind of lurking around in your heart and in your flesh. And so uh, this kind of two-pronged approach is, is kind of a pullback from the ledge, not only for the Colossian believers, but also for us now as we read it. Yes, there is judgment for those who refuse uh, the uh, forgiveness that God provides through Christ, but we don't revel in that. We don't look forward to that. We don't, you know, kind of rub our hands together in, in that dastardly way saying, yeah, you're going to get yours one day. But because such were some of us, we actually should have a heart of compassion that leads us to to pray for the sons of disobedience that leads us to want to engage with those that are considered uh, the sons of disobedience and to show them and, 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 and help them see just the, the, the wonderful uh, love and forgiveness that is available for them so that they can escape this judgment and this wrath that is 
storing up for them, uh, as scripture tells us. And here, Paul provides yet another list. And again, by no means is this list an exhaustive list, but he lists out this time anger and wrath and malice and slander. I'm seeing talk and, and lying. And if his first list, again, like we said, can be considered having kind of an eye towards sins that are sexual in nature, then this list kind of captures maybe non-sexual sins. I also believe that there is some significance in this list in that it, it kind of is pointing at what we may call uh, interpersonal sins that represent fractured relationships. And verse 11, when Paul stresses that in Christ, there is no Greek and uh, no Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian or Scythian, no slave or free. And, and understanding that, look, this is not just kind of a general call for everyone to get along, but it is a, a recognition that what Christ did on the cross removed these nationalistic distinctions that were created by Israel's law. There was no uh, longer uh, a need for there to be a separation between Jews and Gentiles. Now, without a doubt, Christians still retain their ethnic identity. This is not some kind of blending and melting and erasing kind of doctrine of kind of your ethnicity. Uh, it is not to be washed away, but for the believer, it is secondary to this new identity that is in Christ. And, and I believe this is what Paul has has been explaining to them this new identity that they now have, this new life that they have in Christ is now the the life that takes precedent over any other kind of nationalistic things you were doing. And again, uh, this is why it's so important to understand the context uh, of any scripture that we're reading or book of scripture that we're reading. Uh, the context here is that you have non-Jewish Christians being told by Jewish Christians that they need to follow some Jewish religious laws and practices to kind of make their salvation stick and take. And then on the other hand, you also have Gentile Christians who, who are bringing with them some of their Gentile religious rituals and beliefs and trying to make them now a critical component or part of Christ's redemptive act on the cross. Uh, and so this is not so much about uh, erasing and blending a way of culture when Paul says there's no Jew and no Greek, no, no, uh, circumcised or uncircumcised, but this is about religious practices and divisions thought to bring about a connection with God, thought to be a means to gain access to God, to have right standing with God, notions about nationality and notions about gender or notions about status, right? When he talks about slave or free being an indication of how close you are or how close you could be to God. Paul says all of that is now done away with in Christ. Amen. So uh, in verses 12 through 17, Paul says now, instead of being driven and motivated by sexually uh, or sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk and lying, which are all kind of ways of the world. He says, instead, we should be driven by compassion and kindness and humility and meekness forgiveness, love, and peace. These are indicative of the new life of, of those whose footing is now in heaven and not on earth. This is what God's chosen ones look like and how they act. Paul also commands them in verse 16 to let the word of Christ dwell in them richly, meaning abundantly, so much so that it overflows. It's, it's, 
oozing out of them. It's coming out of them and it's showing up in every aspect of their lives as they talk to one another. Uh, they're greeting each other with psalms and songs and hymns and praises and, and cr- the words of Christ are not only just um, information that they have in their minds, but it's showing up in shoe leather and how they live their lives in community amongst one another as they interact with one another. And I think this is a good place uh, for us to uh, spend some time in our own thoughts and meditation is, is to understand that Christ is not to be co-opted for our causes, for our beliefs or our platforms. Christ is not a sympathetic figure meant to kind of stir our emotions and to kind of rally behind, but Christ is the king of all creation. He is the Messiah. He is the one by whom and through whom all things, man and creation, have been reconciled back to God, made right through him. And as such, he is calling us now not to just kind of try to do better, not to just uh, try to be kind, but he is calling us to live a new life that reflects his place in heaven, that reflects the regenerative, uh, regenerative, redemptive work that he has done on our behalf. He's calling us, frankly, to really radical lifestyle changes that actually Paul will talk about more in the next section. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Complete in Christ podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode or series, you can send them to questions at completeinchristpodcast.org. Please include your name, where you're from, and the specific episode you're referencing. Also, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It gives us feedback that helps us to keep improving and provide some insight for those who may be listening for the very first time. Again, my name is Charles Wright, and until next time, be blessed.